0: Welcome everyone to Black Coffee and Theology. Hey everybody, welcome back to the pod. It's good to be with you all. So I'm excited because on the podcast today, I have April Feet. And she's a pastor, she's a writer, and a blogger. And she also co-pastors the First Presbyterian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, with her husband, Jeff. And I loved this conversation with April. I found her to just be such a warm and open person. And we're talking about her book, The Sacred Pulse, Holy Rhythms for Overwhelmed Souls. And people who know me, they know that um, I deal with anxiety. And I also am really interested in practices that helped me settle down, that helped me uh, dig into the contemplative side of things. And I loved April's book because it really was honest and raw, but um, in a way that helped you to dig into the, the spirituality without being... Um, unnecessarily preachy so i loved her book and so we get into the sacred pulse of things so sit back and relax and enjoy our conversation well hello everybody welcome back to the pod and we have an honored guest it's april feet welcome 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 thanks for coming on
1: thank you for having me
0: yeah so april feet she's a pastor a writer a blogger and i it's it's so interesting um i wanted to ask you to come on the first season but i i i felt from the holy spirit to wait uh and it's so interesting because then you were, I found out you were writing a book <laughs> and then um, the Holy Spirit knows
1: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> what the Spirit is doing. And then so it, the stars aligned just well uh, for you to come on now for the second season. And, and so usually how I start with the pod is I say a bit about how I see you and then I ask you to say a bit about yourself. Uh, and so, for me, how I it is so interesting how I came across you uh, on Twitter. Of course, <laughs> is how I how I've met most people, especially in the pandemic. And what I have always loved about you is that at first you were this unassuming woman that was was engaged in these theological conversations and seemed unafraid to just jump in the mix but then you were also in these justice conversations Mm. and you were right there also and what I loved was that you were involved in both and that you were unafraid and unashamed to be there in what I've loved is that you haven't been ashamed to use your voice and your privilege on behalf of the marginalized. And as someone who is Black, I hate that the bar has fallen so low that that I I don't expect that from our white siblings, right? And so for me, I started to really pay attention and I have loved that you you have joined so many conversations, so many hard dialogues, so many dialogues where you've caught in some heat, <laughs> some mm-hmm. singeing. And I have truly loved dialogue and friendship and fellowship with you uh, virtually and seeing the way that you've carried your heart tenderly and joined us. So thank you, thank you, thank you for how you show up uh, in the world, truly.
1: Thank you. I don't even know what to say to that. That is that is so beautiful.
0: Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, how you show up in the world is beautiful, uh, truly. And your love for God and your love for people is evident. Um, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and so with that, how do you see yourself? What's important to you? <laughs> um, yeah.
1: What's important to me Well, I mean, you pretty much just said everything right there. Um, What's important to me is showing up in the world with compassion and grace, but also from a listener's perspective or a learner's posture. Because if there's one thing that I have learned over the course of my 40 years is that there's so much I don't know. So many things I didn't learn um, as I grew because of where I was situated in the world And it's a tremendous privilege to be able to hear voices I never heard, had never heard before and to learn things that I either had never learned before, or maybe I intentionally didn't learn them because they were painful. And so that's, I think that's the most important thing to me is that I put the person in front of me first and hear them and don't assume things about them so that I can learn their story. Um, And then I think, you know, I think that's because of my love for God. I I truly do believe that every person is made in God's image, even the people saying things that I really don't want to hear, even the people who, um, get retweeted on Twitter. And I think people, please stop retweeting these people on Twitter. Even those folks are made (laughs) in the image of God and, and having to reckon with that, um, but I have just, I have been so encouraged by you, Robert, um, the way that you show up in the world, oh. your, your grace and your compassion and your creativity and the way that you encounter people, even people who um, are ignorant of, of certain things, maybe they aren't good listeners, just the way that you respond in the world, it, it blesses me. Oh,
0: thank you. Oh, thanks. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, we are all here. We're trying, right? And I think the thing that I've had to center is, you know, I want liberation for all, and mm-hmm. I want to see, I want to see the fullness of humanity and, in what God's intention for us, uh, when he created us and that might require discomfort. I hope not, but uh, our stubbornness (laughs) um, usually um, gets in the way, but it's never my intention, right? And so in that way, um, I hope that, I hope that as we reach for beauty in conversation and activism, that it, that we don't have to crush one another, but sometimes our ego um, and holding on to ego uh, might require that. <laughs> yes. But it's never the aim, right? So.
1: Yes, that's right. Oof.
0: Um, so here we are. We're talking <laughs> on the pod today about your wonderful book, The Sacred Pulse <laughs> um, Holy Rhythms for Overwhelmed Souls. And listen, when you just revealed the title, (laughs) I knew, okay, this is, this is me. Uh, I, and so on social media, I have the the title, uh, Robert the Contemplative, because it is how I approach uh, theology. It's how I approach justice work. It's how I, approach, anti-racism work. Uh, and and so I do everything from the grounding knowledge of contemplative thought, right? And so when I read this uh, title, The Sacred Pulse, I said, I gotta get into this. <laughs> and so, um, so, yeah, so it's on the table. So to ground our time uh, in hearing from you, I, in our conversation, I want to read a little bit from the introduction and even see if you have some thoughts. Uh, okay. uh, so, you write in the introduction, you said, What if instead of running on vapors, we allowed ourselves to listen for the rhythm of well being, the one still resounding within our hearts, even when we've become very skilled at not listening? Mm-hmm. And later you said, but despite our best efforts to the contrary, I believe God is still whispering to us over all the din that we are beloved. Mm.
1: <sighs>
0: Whew, what thoughts on that, on your words there?
1: Oh, thank you for, for reading that. Sometimes when I hear my own words, I think, did I write that? <laughs>
0: Um, <laughs> You're like, that's profound. Who wrote that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I think about how so many aspects of of the world in which I was raised, both in childhood and then in college and in seminary, how much of the circles I've run in have prized a kind of workaholism um, where... In conversation, you almost one-up one another with how tired you are or how stressed you are, And, and there is almost this badge of honor that even though I was too tired to do it, I did it anyway, and having to try to unlearn that, that that's not really what God wants for my life. God doesn't want me to stretch myself to the point where I have nothing left to give, and I'm no good to anyone, even myself. And and just having to unlearn that. And and the reason I chose that word whisper that God is whispering over us is because I feel this world can be such a loud place if we let it. It's not created that way, but we've become very skilled at distracting ourselves and filling our, our days and our lives and our homes with so much noise that we can't hear God. And and thinking of it as a whisper, what I do when someone whispers is I lean closer. I, I move my ear towards the sound. I, I turn other things down in order to hear it. And in that way, then I can lean close to God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I um, I think I'll probably cry because this is who I am as a person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think taking in your book it's important to name that I read it from my social location one as a black man and then two as a black chronically ill person and so I consume your book in a a different way than maybe some of your other readers right and so for me it spoke to me on different levels, right? And then I'm also a musician. And so a lot of the language spoke to me and resonated with me maybe in different ways than you might've even intended it, right? And so for me, the running on vapors uh, to a black audience, <clears throat> it, <clears throat> we are tired. Right. You know, in general, we know that this world, we're tired. In America, we're tired.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, As a Black man, I am tired, right? And Mm. it, it, this, (coughs) yeah, just the running on vapors really hit me in the introduction. Like Mm. this capitalistic society has been compelling us to go, 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 go. Yeah and you know in 2020 2021 black bodies were shown to be exhausted and in, in the media uh, police brutality was uh, seen on massive levels and so hearing that whispered voice of you are beloved spoke something um deep to me right and um yeah, there was a resonance there for me that uh, I truly took to heart. There, um, yeah, and I don't, I don't know that you were intentional in that crafting, but um, I thought yes on this hu- human level on this uh, Imago Day level. But then there was there was a special message to Black bodies as well that I I truly felt and received. Yes, yes, yes. Mm.
1: Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, mm. I can't even begin mm. to understand the level of exhaustion mm. that, that you must feel, that, mm. that all people of color must feel seeing those acts of violence and, and, and seeing white brothers and sisters try to explain them away or turn their eyes to them rather than listening and and interceding and and doing whatever can be done speaking up um and of course thankful for those who have spoken up but we we need all of us
0: yeah yeah and so yes we do we, we do yeah and so i i love that grounding in the the beginning and even how I'll say this other part from the introduction that was so beautiful you talk about in genesis you say in genesis one was not written in poetic form to minimize the work of creation but instead to teach us that life was not created haphazardly creation was expansive and imaginative breathtaking and and inspiring creation was also orderly and rhythmic in the movement from day to night the separation of the water from the land and the repeated refrain that all of it was good and so I like even Hmm. in that introduction you're you're setting the stage for that sacred pulse uh, uh, motif that kind of runs all throughout the book of that is from the very beginning that that this wasn't accidental, folks, right? Like yeah. this, you know, there's this sacred pulse dynamic that that poetry being used even in the creation narrative was on purpose, right? And I, yeah. I loved that thought. And it reminded me of a lot of um, process theologians um, mm-hmm. and how they capture it really well. And I was reminded of Catherine Keller uh, writes about that a lot too, right? So, yeah, it was beautiful there.
1: Mm. I love that. Uh, I just picture creation, that the rhythm of creation is like a dance. Yeah. That God God created this dance and invites us to dance. And instead, we're pulling the opposite way, saying, no, no, I don't want to do that. Maybe we're embarrassed or we're nervous or we we want to keep up with some other piece of life. Um, but instead, we miss that beauty.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and can can you talk about before we get even into some specific? We're going to hunker down in the kind of the last part of the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, but can you talk about then, like what uh, inspired you to write this book? You talk about a lot of it within the book, but hmm. give us an overview of. What was on your mind when you were thinking, I need to write this book?
1: That's a great question. Um, the idea for this book actually came to me about a year before COVID touched American soil, maybe a year and a half. Wow! And I walked through the door that evening. I, I don't even remember what I had been doing. I know it was something that was good. I think maybe I'd been singing in our church choir, something that I enjoy, Um, But I walked through the door and I said to my husband, I'm just so tired. There there has to be more to life than feeling this tired. And the phrase reclaim the rhythm kind of entered into my mind. And I just sat with that for a while. And then I I started to um, think of different ways that I experienced the rhythm of God or the sacred pulse of God and began to write those down. And and really, it began as a project, a way for me to rediscover that wellness and um, wholeness, wholeheartedness that I was longing for, really as a personal project. And when I received the opportunity to turn it into a book, um, I began to write and it was probably a pretty superficial take at some of the concepts in, in the book. And then when COVID struck, I all of a sudden realized that these, these ideas are so much deeper, so much more profound than I was giving them credit for. Um, You know, what does it look like to grieve when the whole world is grieving? Um, Our meals are not just do we pick up fast food or do we sit at the table? There's so much more to our lives than, than just those, I either do it this way or I do it that way. And as I began to dig into really what the undercurrent of God's sacred pulse is, which so much of it is love. But as I began to dig into it, it really became a gift for me, um, a gift of healing a time for me to listen to the sacred pulse in the midst of COVID, when I needed to hear it so very much, and still do. Um, yeah.
0: No, I I love that. Uh, you could have even go on more. I, <laughs> I I I I think for me, you know, that exhaustion almost was the catalyst into writing this book, because. For me, I've noticed in my own life that when I start to say I'm tired Mm. and I, and my friends around me, they know me well enough to know that when I start to give that answer regularly that, Hey, I'm tired, they start saying, Hey, 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 are you on the verge of burnout? Because they know that that is a red flag for me. They Mm -hmm. know that that answer is not good for for me, Um, that too many times of answering, hey, how are you doing, Robert? I'm tired. Wait a
1: minute. (laughs)
0: Uh, This this isn't good for you. Um, And probably it's not good for most people. When I ask you how you're doing, week after week, if you say, I'm tired, it, it becomes not just i need a nap thing yes there's a weariness that goes into our soul that goes beyond just i need a cup of coffee a little a little pick me up a little nap and i think this pandemic has exposed that exhaustion and for me being transparent when the pandemic hit and we were locked down (laughs) in my city um the exhaustion that hit me was total for a couple of weeks. And I, it was so alarming for me that I thought there was something wrong with me because I couldn't get out of bed for the first couple of weeks of the pandemic. I mean, I would go to sleep, sleep for 10 hours and wake up and then want to go to back to sleep. But I realized that the exhaustion I was feeling was a complete um exhaustion and having to be on the go go so much it was that vapors that you were talking about
1: yes
0: and my my whole soul and being was detox detoxing from Mm -hmm. what you had been doing was not sustainable (laughs) And now that you're on lockdown, buddy, (laughs) the toxins were coming to the surface. Uh, (laughs) So I, I hear you truly.
1: I feel that too. And I have noticed that as more things begin to open up, or as there are more opportunities to do things, I find myself resisting. Yes. Or I go and I do those things and I come home with an exhaustion I've never known before. And I think is this what it was like every day and i just didn't realize it
0: yeah i also feel anxiety as mm-hmm. more opportunities present themselves and as things open up i do not feel as life goes back to normal quote unquote yeah anxiety arises i <laughs> my body is keeping the score of I, i'd <laughs> yes what was normal and my body being the workhorse that it was, it does not want to return back to, to the old things, you know? So I, I hear you. Um, and so the, you kind of illuminating this book of reclaiming that rhythm, reclaiming that rest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think our bodies and our souls and our spirits are attuned to trying to get down to that rhythm. But the flow, the natural gravitational of this world is pulling us away from that, right? And I think yes. the pandemic shattering all of that is one thing. But us trying to return to normal is the biggest mind game of this world. Um, yes. Yeah. And our and we're trapped in the middle of that.
1: Mm. <laughs> Yeah, out here in Nebraska, we were one of only five states in the United States that never had a mask mandate, and we never had a full governmental lockdown. Um, yeah, we're one of only five that that have done that. And so we returned to normal, in quotes, pretty quickly um, compared to the rest of the country. And, and the level of anxiety that that produced in me, knowing that this really wasn't healthy, um, yeah. because of the pandemic still going on, but also we weren't, we weren't paying any attention to the trauma that we had collectively gone through. Yeah. You're just trying to push through. Um, and so I relate to that anxiety that you're, that you're mentioning, um, mm. going, going into church or going into the grocery store and thinking, Oh, I just feel so anxious being here. Um, and, <laughs> it, and trying to listen to the spirit in the midst of that, Um, But one thing that I think is really wonderful is I'm noticing, at least with people that I surround myself with here locally, is people are more and more willing to say, I don't really have time for that, or I do have time for that, but it's important to me that I spend this evening doing something life-giving, or I'm going to go home and take a nap and not feel guilty about that.
0: And that's that's been
1: been so refreshing for me.
0: Yeah. I know that's right. Hi, and, and so that you perfectly segued yourself. Um, so, part three of your book, uh, "The Dance of Belonging," right? And so you just you said you set yourself up three points. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you talk about three different points that I wanted to illuminate. You talk about community. You talk about friendship and you talk about grief who so community is a vast topic and especially for the saints <laughs> every church um thinks uh, every that's part of every church's uh, statement probably on their website. Uh, every church has community according to the, the website. Um, come in here, we have community. Um, whether they do or not um, is, is another, um, is it is a time for another podcast? Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we can talk about it later offline. But I, I think when you're writing about it and you're talking about the movement of community and the holy rhythm of interdependence and um, and talking about loneliness and isolation and being surrounded by people, give us a few thoughts about what you've learned about community in your journey.
1: Mm. Oh, that's a great question. Um, in my growing up years, I, I moved around quite a bit. I think every three to four years we would move um, be- because my dad would get transferred. Mm. And so I spent a lot of time being the new person in the community yeah. and not having those connections and having to work to find belonging. And I'm a naturally introverted person. So finding that belonging Same. is tough for me anyway. And it always, it just takes me a little bit longer to get to know people because of that. And And so I spent a lot of time realizing I wasn't part of a community. And because of that, I worked really hard on doing everything myself. Yes. And as you get older and maybe you have um, some chronic health conditions or whatever, you know, I deal with some things too. And um, realizing I can't do everything. I need a system of belonging. I need a network of people that we can all take care of each other. And I think God designed us to need that. Um, Even even without chronic health conditions, I think everybody everybody needs that. Mm -hmm. Um, But so much of Western society is about doing it yourself. Um, If you want something, you buy it for yourself. If you need to do something, you need to do it yourself. And you think about community, almost like one of those terrible group projects where you get assigned a group, but you're the one that does all the work, I know. And so we avoid it because we don't want that. We don't wanna to have to do all the work, but by avoiding it, we end up doing all the work. Yes. And so um, what, I, what I have learned is the importance, and I'm still working on this, the importance of being vulnerable and speaking my needs so that if, if someone is there who can support me, they know what I need um, yeah. and not just be the one to rush in and meet somebody else's need. So that's been huge for me. Um, and I'm raising two very different kids. One is very introverted and one is very outgoing. Yeah. And I'm seeing my introverted child's resistance to community just like my own and constantly pushing that child buddy it's okay it's okay to to need something it's okay to let people know how you feel or where you are
0: (sighs) it's it's Uh, the vulnerable piece I think as I get older in being frank with the saints (sighs) not just in my own personal life we have church history we have global history to actually bear out witness yeah. that vulnerability among the people of God is a liability and i it's that's a tough thing to say you know and spare me anyone who says not all christians um yeah. <laughs> you know I'm very smart. Like, of course, I know not all Christians, you know, but <laughs> uh, but there's enough of the Christians, you know, um, <laughs> that makes it it hard to to paint the case for bringing the, that that tender vine mm-hmm. before others. It makes it so difficult, right? And so it yeah. makes it a lot easier using your analogy to just handle it yourself because when you have your own collected uh, history and then backing it up and then you have a lot of court documents of of church history to say it's not just general people you have collectively Christians have not shown that they are the most loving that is sometimes the hardest pill to swallow, right? It, it hurts that the people of God aren't known to be the most loving, right? And I think that that, you know, when I was reading through your chapter and thinking about sometimes the hardest word to hear in these days is the word community mm. for people. And as we struggle and how do we define community, in this age, and how do we find define community in an internet age? And how do we define it now in a pandemic age, in a grief-stricken age? Uh we reel and we grieve, and we how do we define it right? And um, we wrestle with those things as theologians, as pastors, as the people of God. We have to wrestle, right? And people who maybe have felt on the outside of the margins um how do we make people feel on the inside who have felt on the outside and i i that is where i do theology is those people who have not felt the warmth of the fire um and it's something i don't have a cute answer for (laughs) i i i i um do people feel in community with me um I don't know, um, you know, and so that's something I wrestle. But but I feel the, I feel the strength of your words, and I I know that that is what God is saying. Um, it's the walking out of it. Yeah. Um, it's the it's the s- solidarity and the walking out of. Um, okay, well then, Lord, how how you know like it's it, it's the uh, that is where I struggle to be honest, and the the giving. Of my own vulnerability and then the holding of someone else's vulnerability if i can be precise um yeah those two pieces are very hard uh.
1: <laughs> yes they're so hard i mean the, the bible says bear one another's burdens but what happens when you share a burden and instead you receive pain or rejection or someone's unsafe and you find, you find this out um, usually in a haphazard way that the things that you've shared were misused. How, how do you bear one another's burdens when that's the case, when, when you're working with human beings and so many are not, are not holding your burdens safely. They're not safe people. Yes. Um, and how do you continue to be vulnerable Whew. knowing that, that may be what you face. Ugh, it's yeah. the worst.
0: <laughs> you you're think you got me thinking, Pastor. <laughs> <I just laughs> yeah, it,
1: yeah, it's it's so it's so difficult. And then and then when you tell someone and I've encountered this too, I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor, and the person is less likely to share their burdens with me because of what they've received yeah. from others um, in the church. And you're right, we can't say not all Christians because that's part of our body. Um, our our body has done that to other people and we have to own that. Um, but it's so, so difficult.
0: Truly. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's hard. And 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 then something that I am, you know, so I I recognize the 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 tension in it, but also the I don't give up on, I do want to create the beloved community. Mm -hmm. I do. I don't want to give up on being vulnerable. And so even as it's hard, I know that, um, the opposite of it is, um, remaining fixed in place and remaining isolated. Um, And I've done that. Uh, And that's a world of its own. And uh, that's terrible. (laughs) I've tried that other way uh, many times, uh, even recently. Uh, It's it's not good. (laughs) That doesn't work. Uh, And so I I think part of it, creating community is creating community around shared ideals and ethics. Mm -hmm. And that's That's also difficult because even being under the banner of of Christianity does not mean that we are in solidarity with one another. And I love how you even touch on that Um, in community. (laughs) And you're talking about the essentials, right? And you said when it comes to essentials, unity is important. Um, You said the trouble is we do not always agree on what things are essential. Hey, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Oh, it it sounds like a day on Twitter, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I I just saw an article right before I logged on for this conversation. Is is gender in the church a second tier theological issue or is it right up there? Is that isn't it essential? um for women and and men to be able to partner together in ministry is that essential or is that a second tier theological matter and yeah what do you do when you don't agree on the essentials and we're all under the same banner of Christianity and you would think we would agree on the essentials and yet we don't how how can you form that community
0: you know what? I, I'm going to hearken back to someone wise named April. that uh, <laughs> <laughs> like you said earlier, and it's that posture of listening. I, I think so often we define essential. And by we, it's, it's whoever is dominant
1: yeah. in the
0: church. And in our context, it's, it's our white siblings. And I think the problem with Using the word essential is in the American context. The academy is dominated by white people, especially white men. And what I try to problematize is who gets to define essential. Yeah. And and what I like to reorient the whole conversation around and slow down the conversation to a listening posture is say. Is to, is to tell people, um, how about we define essential by the people who live on the margins mm. and what is essential to their thriving and their living, and that usually makes, to be very frank, that usually makes white people feel anxious mm. because then it makes them feel like they're losing control because even that that topic. Well, that topic may move from non-essential to actually, it might be the most critical conversation that we might have to have.
1: Hmm.
0: What? Like, that's not orthodoxy. Well, who says who? Right. What if that's critical to someone who is considered marginal? Yes. What about the rest of us? It's okay for you to sit down. So when I think of equity and when I think of normalizing the theological table, it's not that we want white people to be banished. (laughs) We want them to take a seat at the round table.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Literal round
1: table. Mm -hmm.
0: And so now white people have had ample time to speak. uh, Like, Okay. they've had a head start um it's okay now you're going to be quiet <laughs> and you know and so I, I was thinking that even when i read that quote like what if we define essentials by those who have the least power mm. um and then that totally i mean we're cooking with gas now um,
1: yes
0: you know and that moves a lot of things to the top that other people wouldn't consider orthodox at all you know,
1: yeah. That's a conversation I want to have. Yeah. And yeah. That's exciting to me. But you're right. Anytime, anytime someone senses they're losing some sort of power, all the anxiety and the defensiveness comes up. Even if they don't think it's about power, it yeah. is. Yeah. And a that's a sensation of loss. Yeah.
0: That's in my own life. Um, you know, if I'm talking to my brother, the times where I feel the testiest is when I feel like I'm losing power. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's about power. I think it's about a million other things. Oh, I don't feel in control here and <laughs> um, and the way that it manifests is anxiety. it manifests in anger it manifests in me dominant dominating yes. him um, which is unhealthy and toxic. <laughs>
1: absolutely but for whatever reason we tell people anger is strong anger is our strong emotion so someone does something that makes me feel like i'm becoming weak i get angry yeah Yeah. instead of recognizing i i need to pay attention to what's going on in me right now
0: exactly exactly you're absolutely right so community And, and and then so in that way i think when you when we can have that listening posture you talked about and we're slower to speak and quicker to hear that. I think that changes the whole dynamic because then we're not trying to dominate and control, right? Um, We're here for the long haul because what Christ commands us to do, I'm not, I'm not after a, a, I'm not after ideals, right? Like I'm after love is my ambition. It's my focus, it's my my aim, right? And so orthodox principles are my aim. It's like, (laughs) I'm here to be in conversation with you and to build something that is so outstanding and beautiful that it compels others to wanna come in and be warmed by the fire Mm -hmm. of this, love ethic that we have built together right um but i think that that is that's how we build community right
1: yes yeah that is so insightful
0: yeah yeah and so i think that, that those are then the i think the essentials then get re reordered in light of that and what is important to our community and then when you reorient around the people who have the less the least amount of power your your community is stronger right because you realize it's what's going to warm all of us right and um yeah Hmm. Hmm. friendship uh thoughts on friendship um you have this quote where you says you talk about befriending ourselves first, um, and I love you say. Um, first, you have this thought where you said you are quick to show love and grace to everyone. It's time you show love and grace to yourself. Hmm. And you said, befriending ourselves is the first opportunity we have to be a good friend. Uh, this is not easy, especially when we are gripped by loneliness talk to us (laughs) yeah speak speak to us
1: (laughs) oh well i i've spent so much of my life um relearning how i speak to myself how i interact with myself how i befriend myself and and when you are feeling that unworthiness inside when you're feeling um unlovable you think the solution is to find someone to love you um I, I think all of us do that um, when, when we're feeling that hole inside. Um, but instead, we, we need to love ourselves. It's, it's like that image of putting on your own mask first before you can put the mask on someone else. Yeah. Um, and, and really, in loving yourself, it's in a way learning to receive God's love as well. Um, mm. Realizing that God made me worthy of receiving love of being loved as who I am, even in my brokenness, even mm. in my imperfection. And in receiving that, then I think I learn how to be a better friend to others. Yes.
0: Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as three black men.